Hello everyone, it's Thursday the 22nd of February and welcome to episode 193 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. We have a technical episode for you today looking at how health and we're putting the spotlight on Gina Cells from NMR. Gina Cells is a next generation milk test that provides individual cow somatic cell counts using a single bulk milk sample. The test makes it much easier for farmers to identify animals with the highest somatic cell counts and ultimately allows better identification of subclinical mastitis, improvements in milk quality, and the reduction in use of antimicrobials. To find out more about it and discover how it works and what it could mean for dairy, we're joined by Richard Miller, Genomics Business Manager at NMR, Kite's Head of Genetics, Rose Jackson, and dairy farmer Reese Davis. We're also joined by podcast producer Becky, and as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, fresh from the NFU conference, Chris Walkland. Chris, over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I've been an extremely busy young dairy executive this week. Not only have I sat in on the Arla annual results presentation, which I have to say are remarkable as far as brand performance goes in the second half of the year. But I've also met on Teams, Baz, its new UK boss, and live in person, Nicola, its new comms director. And I have to say both are extremely affable and will go down really well with Arla members, I think. And it was Always going to be tough for Arla to replace Ash with someone with equal charm and charisma. But I have to say, Baz seems to have plenty in his own right. He has one of the biggest jobs in Arla. You can see that from the results. But he says he's ready and up for it. And to prove it, he showed me his new pencil case. Shiny bilingual propelling pencil and jumbo A4 notebook with his name doubly underlined on the front. The book is still empty, I have to say, but it's early days and he's confident he'll start writing it in soon. And I can definitely see why Arla thought he'd be a good fit for the UK business. I think he and Nicola, who's a newbie to dairy, are going to fit in extremely well. Uh, then it was on to the NFU conference, which is where I'm bringing my report from. Highlights for me were an NFU survey, which gave the Tories a deserved kicking, but which also highlighted the huge support the public have for farmers and farming. The public really do love farmers, which just goes to show the public really are all bonkers. Uh, then there was Minette and Michael Oates' final emotional farewells after six and eight years of jobs well done. And at last, the launch of the final regulations on milk contract reform. It's taken 10 years to get this sorted. And I think we're going to look at this in detail in a subsequent podcast. Uh, And so to the market and what's happened this week, well, there was an okay result on the GDT with a rise of 0.5% in the index. Uh, Mozzarella did okay, up 5%. 
cheddar didn't, uh, down nearly 8%, and butter was barely changed. Uh, but Arla's SMP had a decent rise of 130 euros and 115 pounds to cross uh, 2,100 sterling again. Uh, SMP needs all the help it can get, and it got some here. Uh, skin powder, SMP posted useful gains in Europe too, up across the board by 50 euros to just under 2,000. 500 euros so that's good news uh, last week i told you that butter had surged in the latter part of the week and this week dutch butter quotations were up by 400 euros to 5900 euros so that's good. amazing news uh, sellers are now touting product over 6000 euros to even as high as 6200 euros i saw but I think uh, prices have dipped back a bit this morning. Uh, so the highest trade I've seen is 6150 euros. Uh, the moves have put a penny on the milk price uh, to an ampy after costs of about 34p. Uh, and this highlights, I think, the moves we need skim milk powder to make. A 500 euro improvement in skim would propel that milk price to 38p uh, cream prices are creeping up to perhaps two pound five and they will continue to rise if butter remains high uh, on the futures there's been another terrific week i think on butter in europe up an average across the next six months of nearly 400 euros so up 500 in two weeks the average is now 6,120 euros. Uh, skin powder is up modestly as well. And we've now got on the milk price equivalent board almost 39 pence for July, 38 pence for June, nearly 37p for April. So a 4p gain in a month. Uh, definitely heading in the right direction. EU prices are now ahead of uh, New Zealand prices for the longer term, slightly less in the short term. On cheese, I'm not sure there are major movements, but curd I've seen has has been touted for €4,200 or 3600 sterling, which is a positive if it holds. Uh, that would value mild at 37 sterling uh, mozzarella is about the same i think at 3700 euros or 3200 sterling but i might know more a bit later and there's been some slight upward movement on the eex exchange and from stonex on their futures so a little bit positive but nothing earth shattering uh, finally, spot milk is 38 to 39p. So there you are, a fabulous week on butter, an okay week for skim, not so great for cheese at the moment. But a brilliant one for Arla Farmers, Reese. Um, you're getting a bigger 13th payment than was expected due to 2023 being a better year than was initially expected. And with the expectation that 2024 will be even better.
No pressure for Mr. Baz then, eh? Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Richard, welcome to the podcast. Ben briefly introduced Gina Cells in the intro, but can you give us some more information about what it actually is, please? Yeah, well, thanks, Will. Yeah, Ben actually did a really good job of uh, introducing what it is, but in reality, it's just a, a whole new route to herd improvement and herd management. So what we're looking to do is build herd improvement through genomic evaluations. And of course, that's a well-established uh, service services across the UK already. But then we can take those same genotypes, combine those with a, a test on the milk, which we'll go into detail in a minute. But from that, from a single bulk sample, we can get cell count management information for the herd. So for many farms, it's just a matter of milk the cows, take a sample, post it, wait for results. So it's a really, really innovative way of getting herd management information. Yeah, it's quite incredible, really, isn't it, how the technology's advanced. So how does um, how does it work for, for, for simpletons like me? Uh, tell me? Tell me how it works. Magic, Will, magic. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely a large spoonful of magic in there. No doubt about that. But no, really, it is, it's, it's actually relatively simple, or I'll keep it relatively simple. So where all the cows have been genotyped that are contributing to the tank, and we'll cover that a bit later, where they've all been genotyped, we get a well-agitated milk sample, we genotype that, we take the results for all the cows, we take that single bulk sample, we pull it into a really, really smart piece of tech. And what that actually does is calculate each animal's DNA load to the bulk sample. And of course, if you think about somatic cells, they're the only source of bovine DNA in the bulk sample. So in fact, that very first calculation works out the percentage contribution of each cow to the actual overall herd cell count. Of course, that's a really useful result in itself. A lot of farmers use that month after month now currently. But the other thing we do, by bringing in yields, you can then actually pull that together again with a relatively simple piece of maths and convert those percentage contributions into individual somatic cell counts for the animal. And of course, that higher granularity data is what allows you to build into selective dry cow therapy reporting, etc. Wow. Awesome. Rose, welcome to you. Why do you think there is a need for something like genocells in the market? Morning, everyone. Um, well, I suppose uh, milk recording as we as we know it today really has been around since the 1940s. And there have been a few changes along the way, obviously, cell count uh, testing for one that came in in the in the 90s um but the technology behind genocells is a, a massive step in innovation o- over what we have now um there are quite a few practical reasons why farmers may choose not to milk record currently and i think genocells can overcome a lot of these problems yeah i guess i guess it's gonna be a huge time saving as much as anything isn't it yes yeah so efficient efficiency all yeah. the way yeah. Uh, so, what other what other potential benefits are there for for farmers and for vets as well? Well, the benefits to farmers that haven't previously milk recorded is that you can now have accurate cell count data to base treatment and drying off decisions on from just one bulk tank sample, and that data is also extremely useful for vets in terms of monitoring cell counts over time and providing targeted advice to improve cell count and mastitis performance. And then on top of that, the genomic data enables better breeding decision, decisions, uh, especially for that really important first service on maiden heifers. Sure. So, Richard, what I mean, this also just sounds 
all good. So what's the uptake been like so far? Well, we're very, very early into the market. We've we've actually come into the market with a, you know, almost like a pre-launch in truth. We, we haven't got the fully integrated services we want. So we came in really late in 2023. We've, we've got 10 currently on the service in the UK. But I think it's pretty important to highlight we're introducers of this technology to the UK. It's very well established in France and Germany, where nearly 500 herds use this now as their frontline sow count management service, some of which have been using it for more than three years. So it's a very well established technology. We're just bringing it into the UK. Okay. What kind of, um, can I just ask, what, what kind of interest, it's obviously, as you say, at very early days, what kind of interest levels? I mean, it, you know, I, I, I don't know much about this, but I'm already thinking, well, that, that sounds great. I would imagine a lot of dairy farmers are. Have you? Has there been a good vibe about this in, in the agricultural press and the reception you've had? Yeah, there is. As you can imagine, there is a huge amount of interest. I think at the moment we're still getting over the fact that um, you quite often tell people and, and, and it's it's so out there. They they sort of say, oh, yeah, why? <laughs> just because nobody thinks that you could possibly do that from a single bulk sample. But there is a huge amount of interest. We're, we're finding all the time we're getting more and more inquiries across the country, and, and not surprisingly so, because the advantages are um, are pretty great. Hmm. Reese, let's bring you in. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Uh, can you introduce yourself, first of all? Tell us a little bit about your farm and your business. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for the invite um, this morning. Um, yes, I'm Chris Davis from Moore Farm in Hollywell in Flintshire in northeast Wales. Um, we're a 100-acre um, grazing uh, platform uh, on the farm, and we rent another 100 acres as a silage uh, and young stock um, support block. Um, so we milk um, just over 100 cows on a spring block calving system. So we'll start calving now in about three weeks' time. So we're a later spring calver than um, we have been ourselves in the past. And um, we've we've moved um, the, the, the block forward a few weeks uh, this year with the ALA seasonality scheme more than anything. But also, as we've experienced in the last couple of weeks, the weather that we've been having. So we're more of a late spring calver with in, and in that case, then we've had to sort of tighten the block as well. To um, currently, we're, we're calving um, over 120 animals in, uh, or will be calving 120 animals in eight, in eight weeks. Um, yeah, so to you know, we try and turn them out as early as possible and keep them out grazing as, as late as possible. Um, probably the point of difference, maybe for our herd, to a lot of um, spring block calving herds, especially in North Wales, is. Um, we, we've slightly got a bigger cow, uh, more of a Holstein Friesian rather than a, a crossbred um, genetics, which then leads us on to the, the, the business of genomics and uh, genocells. You know, we, we have been genotyping uh, um, for over 10 years now since the, since the service was launched. Initially, um, some of the pedigree cows um, that we had in the herd were done through Holstein UK from a hair sample. And then we jumped on the um nmr's clarified service and recently the genie service so all the animals now were a genotyped um so that you know allowed us to to take part in in in, the, in some of these trials that um richard has, has mentioned so yeah that's okay. basically the a, a, a background to the to the farm and, and where we're at that's great thanks reese um and in terms of genocells 
what are the advantages for you? Why were you particularly interested in it? And, and what might it mean for the business in the sort of longer term? Well, it, in, initially, it was the fact that most of the herd was was genotyped already, which um, allowed me to think, well, you know, it, it'll be relatively straightforward to, to under, undertake the genocells um, procedure. Um, what one of the one of the main things I suppose for, for us was um, because we calve in in a sort of a tight eight week block. There's a lot of a lot of changes in cell counts that that happen and a lot of spikes that we we don't necessarily see with one monthly um, one monthly milk recording at the minute. So there's a lot of things that are happening in between those those cell count recordings that we get currently. So the idea um, for, for us uh, is to to to, to gene cells weekly. So we'll have a weekly cell count report um, from start of calving up till probably June. So in that case, then we'll be able to uh, treat animals sooner. You know, if there are any spikes, we can um, get the younger cows earlier with maybe some of the new bolus technologies and anti-inflammatories. You know, anything but antibiotics really. So not not to let the the case become clinical so through weekly gene cells I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to do that easier than just with a monthly recording um, and also we've just um, we did our first gene cells um, just before drying off in January and that was pretty useful just to have a, a more of an up-to-date um, you know you not necessarily have to just dry the cows off straight after the, the the previous milk recording you can you know if the weather wasn't right for example you know you want to dry off on a dry day and if you want to leave it a couple of weeks after the recording then you can do another gene cell sample just to get an up-to-date um cell count reports to to target cows with selective dry cow therapy um so yeah that 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 was a a, a driver and also um, it was uh, uh, with a, a farming connect demonstration farm this year, so that was something that we wanted to. I, I can see a lot of um, interest, as Richard mentioned, in in a lot of this, especially in North Wales. There's a lot of um, dairy conversions that have happened, and 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 um, you know a lot of herds are set up with quite simple parlours that in the past haven't been able to do any cell count. Um, reporting or milk recording in full stop so this will hopefully allow them to uh, you know if not do it monthly at least do it at those key periods um, so I, I think it's it's uh, you know we wanted to demonstrate this tech, this technology and we were in the in the we were in a fortunate place because the herd was genotyped already to to carry out fairly straightforward from from my point of view especially with um, where the area where we are is the a, a, a lot of the, the spring carvers haven't been able to do any form of milk recording at all, you know, and at best, if they have started like a grazing for scheme, they've, a lot of them have, have given up because of the, the labour and the hassle it's caused them. So this, I think, will, um, and, if, and, and as Richard mentioned, if they can just get that flat rate from the wagon, you know, from the wagon ticket, the, the, the literage, and then just a simple um I, I just really think it's it'll be huge for those sorts of herds um you know the, the the real simple herds i think that's probably a point i think whether yeah we emphasized it enough but that is, i think it'll, it'll gain a lot of traction to yourselves for those sorts of herds they're the ones that people i've spoken to um 
who've heard, you know, some of these systems of uh, the chaps who who run them. That that's one of the main um, points of interest for them is the the ease of it and something that they thought was unavailable, uh, basically. Sure. Rich, Rich, just thing. I'm, I'm waiting for the downsides here. <laughs> well, the, the the downsides, I, I suppose, for if you if, you know, it's, it's that initial genotyping that I'd imagine will, will you know, and Richard will, will mention that the, the, the probably the um, the ways that NMR can help with, with in the initial genotyping. But um, yeah, that, that that's probably one thing I would have thought myself. You know, I I can't see any negatives with it. But the only thing is maybe if you hadn't. You haven't had the herd that's genotyped already. It's just that initial, you know, bit of a oh, um, cost sort of thing to set up with. But you know, Richard has, and NMR have got, you know, contingency plans already for that. You know, so any farmers, that, you know, it's the the, the technologies there anyway to help you with um, with improving health and 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 production traits. Um, so gene, you know, you not only get gene cells, you get the, the genotype information plus parentage verification. That's another thing that. Um, doing some of these older cows that we did um, uh, just before the project because the um, uh, the Holstein UK samples didn't cross over, so we had to redo a few of the older cows, and it threw up actually some parentage verifications that we needed to change. You know, the the bull that we used, or we thought that was the side of the cow, was different. So there's lots of benefits of genotyping anyway. You know, before you come to gene cells, so um, yeah, you know, yeah, it is a win-win, but. It's a it's a it's a cost. You have to just decide, right? It's an investment. Sure. Rich, you're going well up in Rosie's favourite farmer category. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just sat there nodding. Saying away. all the right things. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Richard, just a few uh, practical questions now. Um, first of all, how does how does Genocells compare to traditional milk recording? Yeah, well, I suppose the key thing, which, you know, Reese highlighted is, first of all, it's much easier to do. You know, there is no build up or down of samplers or labour, you know, and, and as as Reese mentioned, in the bear parlour, you could actually manage without samplers, um, ideally, you know, with yields or flat rate yields through a block system. And in terms of a true comparison, we did six herds with first milk uh, just coming up two years ago. Now, they were very interested in the technology almost as soon as we sort of brought it into the UK long before we were ready to be doing a commercial service. But we did six with them over the course of 12 months and, um, and the results were very favourable. As you can imagine, we did due diligence before we brought the technology in anyway. Um, so in terms of comparisons, at the moment, a couple of the herds we're doing are up to about 350 cows. Because of DNA dilution, you know, I consider that might be close to the max. But what about accuracy? I mean, that's the key thing. Well, both both services will have weaknesses. Let's be honest. If we go to a traditional recording, you've got super fast parlors now with, with staff trying to keep up, really difficult to sample, not always well branded. RFID, sometimes you get crossover on RFIDs. Sampling equipment, we all know the pressures in the industry, keeping sampling equipment calibrated up together is an additional cost. It isn't always, uh, isn't always done. And of course, there's a risk of human error. Coming over to gene cells, what are the risks there? Well, agitation of the bulk sample is absolutely vital. We need that well-distributed DNA, ensuring all the cows are genotyped, and an accurate submission list, you know, to get the to do the calculation on the right animals. So, so both systems have got, you know, qualities and both systems have got weaknesses. But for 
many people for cell count management, it would be perfectly fine. Richard, we were discussing the other day that there is that that um, dilution challenge, isn't there, which, which sort of at this point puts a bit of a natural cap on the number of animals that can be in the herd that for this to be applicable. Is that right? Well, you're right, Becky. At the moment, there is there is that sort of natural cap. Um, I mean, if you're just interested in identifying the really high animals, you know, we've done some super large samples, and you know, for for identifying, you know, the true millionaires and things like that quickly and easily, it, it does work fine. But to bring it down to sort of higher granularity data for selective dry cow therapy, we've got a cap. But one of the most intriguing things. Uh, we did a, a research project just about a year ago now that we're replicating at the moment. Um, and that was a, uh, a 2,000 cow herd. Uh, and what they did, they used a system called Qualitro. Uh, and we just took samples, you know, as, as each pen went through, we took a sample, we're sampling from the line, put a new sample bag on, next pen went through. And sort of on divide and rule, we got some fantastic results for this, uh, you know, this super large herd. And, and in reality, currently it takes four people two days to get the samples to to manage that herd so you can see there's uh you know if we can get the technology working on a commercial basis which i believe we can that would remove any kind of cap so it should be uh should be applicable to all then hopefully rose how many herds are regularly milk recording or, or genomic testing well latest figures i've got uh, suggest that about 66% of, of, of cows in the UK are, are milk recorded regularly, um, which means <laughs> obviously 44% aren't. So that, that's the sort of opportunity, um, I guess. And in terms of uh, genomic testing, uh, 100,000 females were tested last year, which is about getting on for 25% of eligible heifers, actually. So that's been a massive sea change uh, in the last couple of years. Mm. And, and in terms of the, the GeneCells test, for those that are testing, um, and I suppose for those that aren't as well, what might what will it mean for those depending on where you sit? Well, yeah. So I suppose uh, for for people who are already genomic testing with one of the compatible tests, like like Reese's, um, then it's going to be really easy to start using GeneCells. Um, you just might need a bit of catching up to make sure that all the lactating cows have, have been tested as well. So it kind of depends where you are in your uh, genomic journey. Um, but really, for for those who are not genomic testing it's going to unlock a whole new world of useful and relevant data so it's not just it's not just about the cell count stuff and and uh, and could this open the door to higher frequency testing well this is the one that um uh reese again was was touching on uh, a, a bit there that absolutely that, that there's no limitations to how often you can take a sample so you can really build that kind of bespoke um way of using it into, into what suits your your system so i think it absolutely would do richard just want to uh touch on the cost of all this because it sound, sounds amazing um what is the cost of all this for herds that are already genomic testing uh, and also the cost for herds that might be starting from scratch well for the guys that are already genomic testing you know there, there may be an element of top-up testing at the start if we consider all the cows are genomically tested, we forget that. That's the scenario we're talking about here. The, the only onward going costs then become the milk sample and, of course, the replacement testing. As Rose mentioned, the, the number of herds that are already, you know, in genotyping programs now, that is becoming a standard part of herd management. So in a way, that falls away. So what we're really focused on here is the milk test cost. 
as you can imagine, there's a range of frequencies and add-ons. But by way of a ballpark, I guess for doing 12 tests in a year akin to a, a, a traditional milk recording, it'd be somewhere between the cost of an essential sampling self-only service and a DIY recorded service, somewhere in there for the for the milk test element. So it sat right in the, in the zone that people expect to pay for this sort of level of information to manage their herd. Okay. So are there any systems where GNS sales might not be suitable currently? So, for example, are, you know, herd size barriers, you know, if you have quite a small herd, is it not just not cost effective? What, what, what do you think? Uh, that's a, as, as a, as a good question in, in respect to the fact we know, as I mentioned, until we get the, the multiple samples from one herd protocols in place, you know, we have a, we have a limit on herd size. Um, but in reality, that's a, you know, once you get to 350, it's a relatively low percentage of herds that couldn't make use. So in terms of a lower end, yeah, you will be right, you know, because of the way all of these things work, you know, costs become slightly more prohibitive at the bottom end. Although I'd like to think we do make it available to all because, for instance, a farm with a single robot without a shuttle, this could be a really, really useful service for somebody who's got 60, 70 cows and at the moment can't afford to you know, get that Salca information. So I'd like to think we can make it available to the whole industry, really. Sure. And Rose, do you see any barriers at all? I want to just say no. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, like with, with any any new technology, it's it's going to have a sort of there'll, there'll be those sort of a, a early early adopters who are, are used to going for new things, and then it will sort of snowball. I think until it becomes common practice. I, I think the one um, concern I had when it you know sort of first came across my radar is um, how is it going to impact things like yoni's disease testing um because we can't do that in a a, a, a genotype sample uh yet so so it's uh, you know you, you're still going to need to do four four recordings a year for the for the yoni's testing for example if you if you're on, on on one of those um contracts and things like that but i think um being able to build in the the genocells with a a sort of traditional milk recording where necessary that sort of blended approach would, would, would help with overcome that anyway okay Richard, how does it relate to crossbreeding herds? So crossbreeding herds work really well, as you can imagine. The actual genetic diversity in a crossbreed herd means that you know you've got very closely related animals in a in a in a Holstein herd, and you've got much broader genetic diversity, which which favours favours the genus cells calculation. Of course, the the downside at the moment in terms of the herd improvement element of course, is that um, you know, genomic evaluations, which is a key part of the value proposition, uh, aren't available, although that's, a, that's an era that's changing hopefully quite soon in the UK. So, you know, the big changes that are coming in 2024, Scandinavian red breeds are now going to be evaluated on the Ayrshire base. So that opens up Scandinavian reds for uh, genomic evaluations here in the UK. But probably most importantly, uh, AHDB have indicated that in the latter part of 2024, they will be doing blends of the main evaluation breed. So all of a sudden, what does that mean? It means things like Scandi Red Cross Holstein, Scandi Red Jersey, Holstein Jersey, sort of the three high production crosses that you tend to see out there, will have genotype, uh, genomic evaluation available to them. So that will really change the dynamic for quite a few crossbreed herds in terms of getting the value from genomics and from genocells as well. Okay. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I, feel, I feel like I need a bell to ring when I mention the S word, sustainability. We, we talk about it a lot on on the podcast, like a like a hooter that goes off when you mention it. But um, Rose, how does it, this all relate to the wider sustainability agenda in dairy? I mean, presumably, increased efficiency is is, is going to play a big part in that. Yeah, absolutely. And also, if you just bring it back to what what cell count actually is it's a it's a measure of an in, inflammation response so high cell count cows are those with subclinical mastitis so that's going to have a negative impact on yield as well as increasing the risk of cull for cull, culling for those individuals so both of those represent reduced efficiency and, and waste in the system effectively um but without having accurate cell count data we can't make proper informed decisions on selective dry cow therapy which would increase the use of unnecessary antibiotics on farm which can contribute to antibiotic resistance, which is a big part of the sustainability agenda. So it it, it hits it at several different levels, I would say. The, um, the majority of the cows that leave our herd um, leave because of fertility reasons. And what we tend to do is put them in calf to sell to autumn calves. So the more, so if any cow does become a three quarter cow or is a high cell count cow, we can't, you know, she, she becomes a barren cow. What I'd like to do is move those barren cows up from being barrens due to having mastitis or high cell counts and move them up to that gang of animals that can go on to milk for other herds, if you like. Yeah. And so that, again, in terms of sustainability, you know, I, I, it's better that that fifth or sixth lactation cow goes off and milks another couple of lactations for an autumn calving herd or an all-year-round calving herd rather than just go to you know, dog food or food, you know, whatever else, you know, as a barren animal. So that's, if I could have them all just empty or, or in calf to sell in, in, you know, in the spring rather than sell them as barren cows, then um, yeah, it's a lot more, a lot, lot more efficient in that respect as well. Um, and then last question, Richard, what are the next steps for Gina cells? Um, what is the opportunity and potential with all this? How far could it go? Well, I think it's going to go. I think it's going to go a very long way. When I look at it, we we see the growth in you know our neighbouring territory in France. You can see the applicability, and as we get through our service delivery and development, exactly as Rose said, our plan is to integrate this with recording services. So, if probably farms may do, they may do four recordings in a year and tie that in with a herdwise Yoni's Neospora program, or they may do six a year if they're pedigree. And and as Reese mentioned. As frequent as you want on uh, gene, you know, gene, gene cells tests in between because it's so easy. So you've got that completely flexible service, got the benefits of compositional information building into your phenotypic records. You've got the gene cells making months easy, and so that is where we see us being probably is probably at least eighteen months to two years down the line before we're integrated at that level. But it will be really exciting then because it's you know, big benefits to the industry just in terms of labour and, and sustainability from our business as well in terms of the amount of stuff we're shipping around the countryside and people to do this work. So that's where we anticipate it going. And, of course, during that two-year period while we're developing this stuff, more and more herds will be testing on a compatible test, which means their entry will be much easier. So you look at it and everything moves towards this sort of as the whole herd nationally becomes genotyped, gene cells becomes just a natural part of their management. Okay. All right, then. Um, that's all we have time for today. What an interesting podcast. A very big thank you to our guests, 
Richard Miller, Rose Jackson, Chris Davis, Chris Walkland, and podcast producer Becky. Yeah, really positive episode. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We will be back with you on the usual Friday next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.